epistle of Jude. It's a little letter addressed to the church right before the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Jude was writing to the church because he was concerned for the church. As well, we should be concerned for the church today. I entitled this message this morning, Stay the Course, Finish Well. The book of, J- the book of Jude, as it was written, Jude was concerned about apostasy in the church. And the word apostasy means the abandoning of the faith. He gives us a lot here to think about in this chapter. His desire for the church is that we would consider this important topic and we would stay the course and finish well. Jude, it says here in verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So Jude was called himself here a bondservant. A bondservant. He was a servant to the Lord, called to serve the Lord and God's people. Jude was also the brother of James, he mentions here, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's also the son of Mary and Joseph. Although he didn't name drop here, he could have. He could have name dropped here and said, hey, I'm the brother of James, who was the pastor, the leader of the church of Jerusalem. I was also the son of Mary and Joseph. But here, Jude knew that he, he, the Lord Jesus, was more than just his half-brother. He calls him Lord, he calls him Master, he calls him the Messiah, and he also calls him the Savior. We see Jude also knew that Jesus, in verse 17, he states that he is the head of the church, the head of the apostles. Jude knew that it was Jesus' sacrifice and in the mercy of the Lord that gives the believer eternal life. And he says the, the letter was written so that you would know that he has called you out of darkness. God has called us out of darkness so that we would know we're called. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, The Lord has rescued or delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. And that word conveyed in the Bible is the word transferred or he removed us from a place or a position of death row in eternal judgment. To the Christian now being an heir, a family member, he brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's what Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says. Some might ask, why do I need to be rescued by Jesus? Why do I need to be rescued? I'm not a bad person compared to who? You see, the Bible says that we're sinners. We miss the mark. And what sin means is just, it's an archer's term for missing the bullseye, missing the mark, missing the bullseye. And we all sin. The Bible tells us that we all fall short. But sin has consequences. Let's take, for instance, the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not lie, God said. Thou shalt not lie. 
How many of us, by a show of hands, have never lied? No one's raising their hand, except that one guy back there, and we know he's lying. (laughs) So if we would take the ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie, and apply that to our lives, we miss the mark of moral perfection. We miss the mark. We're sinners. That's what the Bible calls us. And sin has consequence. If I lie to my daughter, you know, she'll lose trust. Maybe she'll pick up some bad habits. If I lie to my wife, I'm sleeping on the couch. Maybe I don't have dinner. If I lie to my boss, I could be fired. But if I lie to the government and cheat on my taxes, I'm going to prison. You see, the higher the authority that I um, sin against, the greater the consequence. And God set the standard. It's His law that says, don't lie. And when I sin, I'm actually sinning against God. He's going to hold us accountable. You see, that's why the consequences for sin are so bad, because God is so good. And the consequences for sin are eternal, because God is eternal. So when we sin, we're sinning against God. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And that is bad news. That is bad news on the day of judgment. If I think I could go to heaven on my own account or my own good works, we're going to have to give an account on that day. The Bible says we're sinners. We missed the mark. That's bad news. But the good news is God himself put on skin like a hand puts on a glove in the person of Jesus Christ. He was tortured on our behalf that if we would repent, put our faith and trust in him, we could have everlasting life. And in him we have new life here and everlasting life in heaven. That's the gospel. Can you say that you're ready to meet God himself today? Maybe the Lord's calling you to repent this morning. To get right, make things right with him. Repentance is acknowledging your sin, putting your, and then turning from your sin and putting your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross. Now, those who have repented put their faith in Christ. Here it says in verse 1 that you are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross because of your sin. That's good news. You're called sanctified. And that word sanctified is holy. You're called to be holy, which means separated from profane things and now dedicated to living for God. That's what we're called to do. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse. I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 through 20 says regarding our conduct as Christians. He says, or do you not know that you are the body and the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Holy Spirit, which you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore, God. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, speaking to the church, you who were once afar off, he has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter also wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 through 19, 
knowing this, that you, the church, believers, are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct. And again, that archer's term, you're aimless, you're, you're off course. See, you weren't redeemed by corruptible things. You can't buy your way into heaven. No good works from your aimless conduct. But he says, but because of the precious blood of Christ, without blemish and without spot. You see, we miss the mark from our aimless conduct. But Jesus' conduct is perfect. So when we repent, put our faith and trust in him, the Bible tells us, his perfect life is put to our account and imputed righteousness. So Jude here says that we Christians are preserved in Christ. Preserved is the word for a state of being saved. You're safe as long as you abide in Christ. Safe from what? John chapter 3 and 36 says that we will face the wrath of God. If, in other words, Jesus paid my fine or I could pay my fine for my sins in judgment. God will hold us accountable. But because we repented, put our faith in Jesus, we receive, it says here, mercy and peace with God and love is multiplied unto you. Look at verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, to exhort you, to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. Who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only God, Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jude is writing to the church and he calls the church beloved because you are beloved. He cared about the souls under his care as much as we do here. We, we care for your souls. That's why Jude is warning the church. That's why we warn the church according to God's word. His, the main concern he started here with the letter was concerning salvation. But he says, while I was, verse 3, while I was very diligent to write to you about salvation, is what we shared, the gospel, just a, a minute ago. But here he's saying, I'm giving all diligent. In other words, I'm writing with urgency and a priority because I found it necessary, the Lord had made it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to all the saints. Jude here was writing passionately, warning the church. He warns the church. He says, for certain men, and it could be women too, have crept into the church unnoticed, bringing in lewdness, and that word lewdness is immoral behavior, immoral, ungodly behavior into the church. By philosophies, by their unbiblical conduct, it says they creep into the church. That word creep means they settle alongside you in the congregation. That's very sad. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age. So there is demonic influencing 
people who do these things. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We need to be careful who's influencing us. Here it's talking about demonic influences. They creep in to, and they use those who creep in and will seduce you by immoral behavior, worldly attitude, and unbiblical teaching that is contradicted here in scripture we need to be careful why because these things could ruin us they could ruin you they could ruin the church and and here jude is writing passionately here in verse five through six jude here gives us two biblical warnings the first two biblical warnings of history that we see through the bible He says here, but I want to remind you, in other words, you already know these things. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You see, at this time, some some people in leadership with Moses and Aaron, some, some of the leaders of the children of Israel gave a bad report. In other words, they planted seeds of fear and unbelief in the hearts of the people that they were sitting next to. And all these people, it says, missed out on what God had for them. They missed out on what God had for them. God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. But here they planted seeds of fear and unbelief into the hearts of the people, which actually destroyed them. And the top of the things that the Bible says that God hates, we see this in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 and also verse 19. Listen to what it says. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And at the top of the list are those who sow seeds of discord amongst God's people. Proverbs tells us that this comes from the heart of a perverse person. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 14 says, They devise evil continually. They sow seeds of discord. And God hates a false witness and those who speak lies, and especially those who sow seeds among the brethren. Why does God hate division? Because it hurts people. It causes people to fall, fall away from the faith. You see here it says God saved his people out of the land of Egypt, which is a type of the world. But afterwards, they were destroyed because they didn't believe and the leaders wanted them to go back to Egypt. And we see this all the time. You see, they saw the amazing things God did. But the leaders planted seeds of unbelief in the hearts and the people wandered for 40 years in the desert Died and never receiving the promise. And that can happen to us. That's a warning to leadership here in the church. It's a warning to me. We can't plant seeds of discord. We can't spread disunity. Because when there's disunity, people leave and they ended up falling and going back into the world. And it happens. I've seen it a lot in 30 years. Secondly, we see here in verse 6, Jude gives the next example. He speaks here in verse 6. The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he has reserved 
in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day. You see, these angels did not keep their proper domain. They left. They didn't abide with God. They left their abode where they were. Imagine heaven, because heaven is our aim. Heaven is our aim. And here Jude is warning us that even these angels, did, they left. They didn't keep their proper domain. They left. And now they're set for judgment. Imagine heaven, everything we ever want. A perfect place. But rebellion towards God, they wanted something else. They too were influenced to leave. And it says they didn't keep their proper estate and they left. They left their own heavenly habitation and exchanged it for everlasting chains. Awaiting judgment. So they too were influenced to leave. And, and that's why the Lord is passionately telling us here through his servant Jude to remain in the faith. Look at this example of Israel. Look at these examples of the angels. It could happen. It happened to them. It could happen to us. Next, Jude points to Sodom and Gomorrah as the next warning in verse 7 through 10. Let's read it. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, have gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, again to us, of suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, these, these, also these dreamers defile the flesh, Reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reveling uh, accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So Jude points to the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah as the next example and the cities around them in similar manner. He said they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. And they are set forth as an example of suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. These things or things got so perverted in Sodom and Gomorrah, that they weren't satisfied that they got so perverted and so dissatisfied that they went after strange flesh. And God judged them. And as we see our culture just moving away from God, it is getting more immoral in our society. And as we move away from God, as they moved away from God's standard, Things got strange. And, you know, I just look over the last couple of years how things are getting stranger. And they're going to get worse. The Bible tells us. Jude calls them dreamers here in verse 8. A dreamer are those who are lured away by sensual images. They're carried away to an immoral course of conduct. We got to watch out what, we, what we're looking at. We got to watch out what we hear. But here they says they speak evil of dignitaries are those in authority. Here he gives an example of Michael uh, and the devil having uh, contending with one another. 
They're disputing about the body of Moses. But Michael gets God involved and says, the Lord rebuke you. Another example of this would be David and Saul. You know, Saul wanted to kill David. And both Michael and David, in a place of contentions, because we will have contentions in the church, in our families, he got, they both got God involved. They let God intervene on their behalf. In other words, they appealed to a higher office to handle their disputes, and we should too. We should get God involved in times of contentions. But Jude said here in verse 11 through 12, woe to them. He gives us the examples, and he said, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. So he mentions Cain, Balaam, and Korah. The way of Cain, we see in Genesis chapter 4. You know, Cain brought an offering. He brought the first fruits. He, you know, I just picked uh, some oranges off my beautiful uh, seedless navel tree that's been in, in, in the city of Azusa for, I would say, hundreds of years. That tree, I picked the, the first fruits off it. And... those were the very best, the first fruits. Cain wanted to give his very best to God, but it wasn't what God required. God required a sacrifice. But he was bringing his own works. But as Abel gave by faith what God requires, a sacrifice, which is a type of Christ on Calvary. And today, unfortunately, many people will still want to go to God thinking that they're going to give what they want to God on their terms and think they're okay with God. But the only access to God is via the road of Calvary through the slain sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we see a lot of the way of Cain in ministry today. You know, we see it a lot when someone's told no, they don't get their way. They're upset. They get upset. They bitterness starts to consume them. Resentment starts in in their hearts. They start to have hate for their overseer, their leader. They cause problem in the church and eventually they leave and they take others with it. I've seen it many times over 22 years in here in this church. But Jude warns them not to us not to be like Cain when things don't go right, when we're not accepted, even while doing our best. Don't allow hate in your heart. That'll take you away from God. We see Cain leaves. He abandons God. Because resentment started in his heart. Things didn't go his way. He started to cause problems. He killed his brother. And we could do that too. A character character assassination. Oh, I don't like that brother. Oh, he does this or he does that or so and so. But Jude also warns here in the second person of the heir of Balaam. Balaam is mentioned in Numbers 24 and 22 and also Numbers 31 verse 16. Balaam was responsible for causing a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Many people died because of Balaam, his influence. He influenced the king to, to send women in and seduce the people by perversion. And many people were influenced and lost their lives. You see, Balaam had a, 
had spiritual gifts for service for God. But he was in ministry for the wrong reasons, for personal gains. The next person he uses here is Korah. Korah started a rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Korah and others with him, a mixed multitude of leaders, caused an uprising. They caused a split in the congregation amongst the leadership, and the people were influenced, and they lost their lives. So he says, don't go in the way of Cain. Don't be like Balaam, and don't be like Korah. We need to watch out for these things. Why? People get hurt. And when things go, don't go their way, they, they get hurt and they fall into the era of Cain, the era of Balaam. Or they cause vis- divisions. They stir, there's rebellion and they stir up division among the congregation like Korah. Jude calls them here in the text, these are spots in your love feasts. Like spots at a gathering, these men and women, by their conduct, damage others morally and they wreck their souls. We got to be careful of how we, of our conduct in the church. Jude goes on to say here in the second part of verse 12, while they feast with you without fear. In other words, they have no reverence for God. He says, they sit among you serving only themselves. And then here he gives another three examples. Like clouds without water carried about by winds. Late autumn trees without fruit twice dead pulled out by the roots. Like raging waves of the sea foaming up to their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. So first he says they are like clouds. Don't be like a cloud. He says they're carried about by winds. They might be beautiful in appearance. They might provide a little bit of shade for what they do. But they don't bring any spiritual benefit to the people, nor are they pleasing God. That could happen here in the church. Jude says they're like late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by roots. He compares them to fruitless trees and fruitless trees in the Bible are associated with darkness and there's a dark agenda behind their motives. Jesus said of the fruitless trees in Matthew chapter 3 verses 10, listen, he said, even the axe is laid at the root. In other words, they're going to be cut down. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He also calls them rootless. He says, These people are rootless. They have no depth. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, some of of the seed fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and it immediately sprung up. They will spring up immediately. They'll look spectacular. They'll look good. But it says because they have no depth, no spiritual life, no connection with the Lord, when the sun came up, They were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. So the next example here Jude gives us is like the raging waves of the sea. He says foaming up their shame and like wandering stars. So like the foam, the seas and like wandering stars for whom is reserved blackness and darkness forever. The waves Foaming up to their own shame. It's like the 
the, the water getting murky. You know, just the, the raging of the waves is just making it murky. It's providing no good. It's just bringing, and the murkiness brings up the foam. And we see the scummy foam on the surface of the sea. And what the, that foam does, it brings up things that are lifeless. It brings up the sea garbage. You know, we see a bunch of dead uh, marine animals and things, just sticks and stuff on the shore. And that's what he's saying here. You know, you don't be like a, a raging sea, just you're going about, you're, you're causing murky waters. And, and eventually, the, thing, the things that are lifeless are going to be exposed to your own shame. He calls them wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. You know, he, he's not speaking here of a fixed star, like, like the North Star, which will help us to guide us to where we need to go. He's speaking here of a meteorite or a shooting star. You know, we see those, uh, those meteorites go by and like, oh man, I wish upon a star. It's actually just a meteorite going into darkness. It's not fixed. It might dazzle us for the moment. And these people in the the body of Christ might dazzle us for a moment, but they're headed to a place reserved in darkness forever. So he's telling us in the church, don't be like them. Don't be like this. He's giving us these examples. Verse 14 through 15, he says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. And saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them for their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and in all the harsh uh, things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, in other words, he's saying judgment is coming to all, to convict all. For their ungodliness, their deeds, which they've committed. But even the words that we say, even the words we say and we've spoken against him. And how many times have we used his name in vain? We use the Lord's name so flippantly. So he says he's going he's gonna to settle accounts. But Jude gave us these examples. Now here he's giving us some of the characteristics to watch out in ourselves and to watch out for In verse 16, he says, these are grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lusts and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So grumblers, complainers, never a good thing. We see this back in Egypt for 40 years. The people grumbled and complained about the leadership. He says these are people who walk according to their own lusts. They might use great words of flattery, but it's only to gain advantage of those people around them. We need to be careful. In verse 17 through 18, he says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how, he told, how they told us that there will be mockers in the last time who will walk according to their own godly lust. So here he's telling again, Beloved, Beloved, remember the words that were echoed by the apostles. So if this isn't just Jude's letter. We see the warnings in 
1 Timothy, we see in 2 Timothy, also in James, and we see the warnings in Peter, warning the church. In verse 19, he says, these are sensual persons, causing divisions, not having the Spirit. So he's saying, be careful of these sensual persons. They might have a lot of charisma or be soulish, but you will know them by what they do. Number one, they cause division among fellowship. Number two, um, we need to learn from these examples that this is unbecoming conduct in the church and in leadership. And we need to live in opposite fashion. We see here in verse 20 through 23, we see a prescription that will help the church along with the power of the Holy Spirit. He will, he will help us to lead godly lives. And we see a prescription here that will help us to finish well and to stay the course. He says, but you, beloved, speaking to the church, he says, build up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have, a, have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So first he tells us, it's our responsibility to build ourselves up. We have a, a responsibility to, to build ourselves up. How do we do that? By being in the word. And then the the Holy Spirit will do the greater part and help you and transform you. Secondly, we need to pray. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to pray to be directed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the third thing he says here, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves, in, keep yourselves where you need to be. You know, I think of, of the, uh, the Passover. Remember, they put the blood on the doorposts and on, on the lentils of the, the door. as a sign of the cross. They, they, and they entered in that house. And he said, if you leave this house, you're going to die. They stayed in the house and they were protected. And the same thing with us. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to abide in him, in a relationship with him, and walk in his ways daily. He says here, have compassion. In other words, reach out to the lost. Be patient with them. Be tender-hearted with them. Give grace to the broken. There's a lot of broken people who are hurting. We have to have compassion on them. But he says, be evangelistic. But yet, sometimes we have to be set. We have to be separate. Make a distinction here. The, the reason why he's saying this, because a lot of times we want to help somebody, but we can't help people who don't want to be helped. They're going to pull us down. You know, I remember going evangelizing out uh, in a certain area, and one guy wanted to pull the other guys into the nightclub. That wasn't very good. That wasn't very wise. Or going to witness at a bar. It's not a, a very good idea. Proverbs tells us it's foolish. But he says be evangelistic, but separate. Make a distinction. Why? Because we can be brought down. We need to be careful. But here he says what, with others, save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment defiled by the flesh. And I thank the Lord that they didn't give up on me. They didn't give up on me. Keep praying. Keep bringing them to the Lord. Keep sharing your faith. Keep inviting them to church. 
I, I thank the Lord that my nephew didn't take no for an answer. He said, you need to come. He saw me in, in my drunken stupor, and he let me go. He says, hey, I'm praying for you. But when I was sober, he came to me. He said, hey, you need to go to church. I said, I'm not ready. He says, you'll never be ready. You just need to come. I came, and that was the greatest day of my life. It wasn't I who changed myself. The Lord has changed me. And I need to abide in a relationship with him. So pray, invite people. might be the greatest day of their life, but, it, but we need to ask. We need to encourage. In verse 24 through 25, as we close, he says here, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his, of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So he's speaking of Jesus. He says, now he, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And, and that word, keep you from stumbling, is keep you from falling. God is able to keep you from falling. Yeah, we're going to blow it. But God will keep us from falling. Warren Worsby said, a house left to itself falls apart. Yeah, you want to be apart from God. Eventually, you're going to fall apart. A house needs maintenance. I need a work of the Spirit in my life. So do you. And we abide in the Lord and allow Him to do that work and follow His directions so that we don't fall apart. We need to depend upon his work in our lives and the word of God transforming our lives because he is able here. It says he is able to present you faultless before his present with exceeding joy, man. When I stand before God, I'm not, uh, my sins are been forgiven. They're dealt with at the cross. I stand before God. He sees me as faultless before his presence. Not my, my righteousness is God's righteousness. I stand before God perfect because of my because of Christ's imputed righteousness in our lives, the church. That should give us joy. So he says to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. So he's encouraging us to abide, stay close. He will preserve you. He will defend you. He'll give you strength and present you faultless in his presence. You know, we need to depend upon the imputed righteousness of Christ for salvation. If you're not saved, this today is the day to get right with God. We need to draw near to him. But here, his wisdom is omniscient. I need to spend time with the Lord. He knows all things. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So I need to glean from him, give guidance for him, because he's going to help me to get to where I need to go. But also, he's going to provide me with wisdom to live in such a way that glorifies him and praises him. You see, Jude's brother James in, said in James chapter 1, verse 27 to the church. He says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Let everything you do not or don't let anything or anyone cause you to miss out. You see, when I taught on Wednesday night, it talked about persecution. Trials are going to come in your life. Persecution came to the church and the people got scattered. 
But as persecution came to the church, the people were scattered. They took the gospel out into the whole world. Because it was 10 years. If you read the, the book of Acts and you read the, the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, at the very end, Jesus tells them, hey, go out to Jerusalem, to, uh, to Samaria, and to the other parts of the world and share the gospel. You're commissioned to do this. Almost 10 to 12 years later, in the book of Acts, they're still only in, in Jerusalem. It, it wasn't until... They came to Caesarea, where in Caesarea, which is a port city, that the people were scattered and the gospel went out through the whole world. And that's where we're reading today. The gospel's come to us. You see, persecution will come to the church and that will scatter us. It might scatter us, but we will only get stronger and we'll plant seeds of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, I was reading Pastor Chuck's commentary on this section. He said, Satan found out that he could not destroy the church by a frontal attack, by persecution. So he, he knew he couldn't destroy it from outside forces. So he decided to destroy it from within. He joined the church. The danger to the church doesn't lie from communism or socialism or outside forces. The danger in the church lies from within. The corrupting leaven of sin within the church. That's the real danger. The danger I feel, fear. The corruption from within, not outside from the attacks of the enemy. Because that only makes it stronger. But the corruption from within. It weakens the church from within. Pastor Chuck. You see, in these last days, we need to be careful of the things that are planted in our hearts. Seeds of doubt. Seeds of discontent, seeds of rebellion, seeds of bitterness, seeds of jealousy, seeds of hatred, seeds of perversion, seeds of division, and seeds of pride. We need to check our own hearts. You see, there's a lot to think about in this chapter. We need to consider this topic. Stay the course. Abide in Christ. Don't turn to the left or the right. There'll be many things that will uh, come in to try to cause you to lose out in what God has for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you. Father, that you've called us out of darkness and you brought us into the marvelous light. We thank you that we received the gospel, Lord, and we recognize that we're sinners and that we needed a Savior. We repented and put our faith and trust in Him. But Father, seeds of will be planted. You gave us this letter to warn us to stay the course, to run the race, to finish well, because you're coming back. Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here or watching at home, if, they recognize, if you recognize that you are not right with the Lord, that you miss the mark. That you're in sin. The Holy Spirit loves you. The Bible says he convicts us of sin and judgment and righteousness. He convicts us to. Bring to our conscience that. We're sinners. We're going to have to stay, stand before God on the day of judgment. 
If I go by my own righteousness, I will pay for my sins in eternity in hell. And that's the bad news. But Jesus died for you. He died for your sins on the cross. That if you would recognize you're a sinner, you would just simply say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I realize I'm a sinner. I, I need salvation. If you would call out to him this morning, he would hear you. He would forgive you. He would impute his righteousness. He will give you his spirit and set you on a course. And you will become an heir. All you have to do is say, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Lead and guide my life. And he will. So wherever you're at right now this morning, think about these things. You're at home, think about these things. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And to the church, here he warns us. Don't go in the way of Cain. Don't go in the way of Balaam. Don't be distracted or caught up in the rebellion of Korah. Stay the course. You're called holy to be separated from profane things and dedicated to God. Father, we do pray for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. Lord, that we would be witnesses in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and wherever you want to take us. Help us to stay the course. Help us to finish well. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, this morning we want to thank you for the offering, Lord. We ask that you bless it. We ask it that we would use it and we would be good stewards of it for your glory and the good of your people. We, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.